Welcome to Making Waves, a radio program about sound art, produced by New Adventures in Sound Art. Hi, I'm Michael Palumbo. Later in the show, I'll be speaking to composer Wendelin Bartley, whose piece, Gliding Slowly into the Body of Origin, will be premiered on August 22nd, 2015 at 7.30 p.m. at our Witchwood Theater, 601 Christie Street, number 176. And first, I'm going to speak to composer Matt Rogalski, whose concert on August 20th, 2015 at 7.30 p.m. will feature his new piece, Navigating the Pen. Let's go talk to Matt. Hi, hi there. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, it's been a combination of uh, work on this trip and and in the last few days mostly chilling out and walking in the mountains uh, in the alpine region around uh, Salfelden. Where, where is that? Where like what? Uh, what country? Um, southwest of Salzburg. Oh yeah. Yeah. Is this uh, is this a common place for like? Do you go there often? Or? No, not at all. Uh, yeah. The reason why we're here is, well, partly because in Salzburg I went to uh, help a little bit with an with a an exhibition that's being set up, which is uh, involves some of David Tudor's work. Oh yeah, and uh, it's it's a it's a big exhibition focusing on experiments in art and technology. The group from the sixties and seventies that sort of pioneered a lot of artist-engineer collaborations. And uh, people like Robert Rauschenberg were involved. So that was that was nice to go there for a couple of days. And then our friends offered us a flat to stay in, in this little town in Hinterthal, which is where I actually am. So I couldn't we couldn't pass up a, a great uh, place to stay in a beautiful region for a few days. That's... Uh... Yeah, that's really special. When you say we, are, is there a few of you? Oh, there? my wife and I. Yeah, yeah. we're collaborating on, on a project. That was actually at the start of our trip. We were in London uh, co-presenting in a conference to do with a, um, a sort of sonic geographies research project that we're doing, which focuses on the life and work of a Canadian field recordist named William W.H. Gunn. He's he's not well known, uh, at least today he's not. But he was super influential. If you start digging into his work, it's it's actually pretty amazing what he did. But he to, these days he's not a common name, unless unless you're into birdsong, in which case you you would probably have come across his name. There's not much available, but we hope to change that. <laughs> what are some things that uh, about his work that really strike you? Um, well, he was uh, you know from the first days that you could get a good portable field recording device, a tape, tape recorder, reel-to-reel. He had one and was out you know, recording environmental sound in Ontario a lot, but also around the world. He worked with CBC and was on their documentary team, so he traveled all around the world recording environmental sound for documentaries. And so The, the Nature of Things was a program he was connected right. with for many, many years. So we were in touch with his widow, who's a very interesting person in her own right. She's a, a film editor, and she she also worked on Nature of Things for a long time. What's her name? She has his Lucy Gunn. The name she worked under was Robin, Lucy Robin. She's okay. uh, originally from France, came to Canada through England, eventually wound up working for the CBC. Yeah, she's, she's pretty old, and uh, we're fortunate to have had a couple of chances to interview her, and she, she has a lot of Gunn's tape library. Mm-hmm. Still at her house in these gigantic Studer tape recorders in her bedroom. 
you and your wife have been lucky enough to be able to access some of these these archives. Well, yeah, we're we're digging in and uh, trying to find you know, what what is what is kept where. A lot of his uh, birdsong recordings are at Cornell in the Macaulay uh, Environmental Sound Li- Archive. So if you go to the Macaulay Library, it's easy to find his, some of his recordings. But there's a lot more that may be stored in other places, like the CBC, and then Lucy has a lot that we don't think is duplicated anywhere else. There's something here that I'm I'm sort of curious about. Okay. Digging through somebody else's archives, is there something that you know you're looking for in particular, or is it that you're, you don't know what you're looking for until you find it? When I've used archival materials, it's been, you know, different from case to case, but yeah. sometimes, a lot of the time, it's been just sort of exploratory, you know, like, mm-hmm. when I did work on David Tudor and went to the Getty uh, Research Institute in uh, Los Angeles, there was a question of just requesting box after box and just going mm-hmm. through it page by page and making a lot of notes. In the case of personal archives, like I've, I've, I've tapped into a lot of people's private papers and had a lot of help from like Tudor's colleagues and uh, you know they, they always you know have very specific archives that maybe focus on uh, certain events that they were connected with or sometimes I'll go in with a specific question in mind but often it's more exploratory and just seeing where it leads me. I'm wondering if there are similarities between that type of exploratory or that exploration and the piece that you're doing with uh, sound travels when you mm-hmm. went into the penitentiary. Mm-hmm. Is there a similar feeling as you're going through? Hmm. Well, I mean, this the piece as I've uh, sort of plotted it out is um, definitely exploratory. Hmm. Well, as you know, King- I live in Kingston, Ontario. Right. Uh, I've been living there for more than 10 years now, so... Uh, I feel quite connected to the place. Kingston is known as a town that supports, you know, uh, major employers such as the military, acad- academia, and prisons. Right? Prisons mm-hmm. are are well well known to be connected with Kingston. They're scattered around, and the the infamous one was the Kingston Penitentiary or KP, which uh, was closed by the federal government a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and all the inmates were dispersed to the other overcrowded prisons. And then this, so this place is sitting empty on the waterfront. It's uh, it's an amazing location. And for a time, there were public tours given. They were paid tours, and it benefited the uh, United Way, I think. So there was there was an opportunity for limited time for people to walk through and have have a guided tour. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, it sold out really fast. But my wife, Laura Cameron, uh, investigated uh, being a volunteer on the tours and sure enough it was relatively easy to get a position as a volunteer so mm-hmm. she did that and I did, I signed up too and I went in just for an, for an afternoon and they gave me um, well f- the first thing they said was uh, well we don't really have anything for you to do so you should just take a tour hmm. so I just joined one of the groups and did the tour and then after the tour there was still really nothing for me to do so I was just kind of on a break hmm. And I had brought my really simple field recording equipment, just a, a Zoom recorder. And I brought some balloons along because uh, wherever I go, I'm collecting impulse responses. And I find them like the best kind of snapshot of a place, you know? I never I never take video, for instance, mm. but I, I'm keen on getting impulse responses. Right. The idea, uh, for anybody who might not know, is that you can document the acoustics of a space pretty simply and kind of crudely. 
a little bit, but um, there's fancy ways to do it and there's less fancy ways. And I'm using less fancy ways, which is uh, popping a balloon in a space. So you record the sound of a, an impulse, the balloon pop, mm -hmm. and the space echoes or reverberates in response. And that recording can then be used uh, to digitally convolve with other sounds to give those other sounds the character of being in that space. Right. And it can be pretty vivid. Uh, so I use this a lot. I use it in a lot. I've been collecting these for years now. They pop up in like pop music recordings that I've produced for other people. Mm -hmm. I use them in, in my own sort of more sound art practice. So uh, while I was on this break in KP, I went around in, in some of the, the, the cell blocks, the different uh, uh, the ones that were accessible, and I asked the volunteers who were working there if they would mind if I recorded these balloon pops. And mm -hmm. they thought, well... You know, it's un, it's like a weird request, yeah. but it didn't. They didn't seem to be disturbed by it. So I, I went around and managed to document. Can I uh, can I interject well, there? Do, yeah, do sure. you? How often do you get a concerned response from people who don't know what you're talking about? Or I mean, most mostly I don't have to ask people's permission because I, I'd be doing it in a, a space that I'm I'm the only person in, for right. instance. So it's it's pretty rare that uh, that I feel like I need to ask anyone's permission or warn anyone that I'm about to pop a balloon. Yeah. Like on this trip through Austria right now, I've been doing churches. And uh, typically, you know, you'll go into a country church and you have it all to yourself. There's nobody there. Yeah. And it doesn't disturb anyone to pop a balloon. Uh, but not so in KP because there are lots of volunteers hanging around. So I, I, I warned them and I said, you know, would, it, would, you, would you mind if I pop some balloons and recorded the sound? And they didn't have a problem with it. So I started doing it. And I managed to get about 12 different spaces, like ranging from small cells to slightly larger cells that would be for disabled inmates to, you know, the whole cell ranges. There's a central area in the prison, which is kind of, you know, because the prison is kind of on this panopticon model where you have a central guard post. Yeah, right. So, And then the last place uh, I did, I was running out of balloons anyway, but I, I went into a stairwell where the door had been propped open, but I quickly found out that I had ventured into a space that was off limits, <laughs> and I was recalled to the front desk of the prison, and I was escorted off the property by the last remaining corrections officer at the prison. So I didn't get to do as much as I wanted there. Yeah, um, and I did. I have you know I took advantage of the situation in a way, but I didn't think I was harming anybody. So mm. anyway, so I ended up with these impulse responses, which document all these acoustic spaces, which are all, you know, quite, as you can probably imagine, reverberant, the concrete walls and, you know, large open spaces in the cell ranges. So they're really lovely, and I've used them a bunch of times. Uh, I used them in a, in a few different places on this in rock band's record out of Kingston called P.S. I Love You, which is on paperback records in yeah, Toronto. Yeah, yeah. Right, so I produced several records for them and the last one had these cool. prison impulse responses on a few songs huh. and and then I, I really wanted to use them in a in a piece that would allow me to more like explore the space explore the, the spaces virtually and 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 sort of thematically uh, you know think ponder these you know the, the carceral spaces the the spaces of imprisonment and think about in a way, humanizing these inhumane spaces. Yeah, mm. I mean, it's really like the stories from KP. If you've ever, if you've ever heard about 
what went on there. It's it's mm. like horrific. It must be terrible, yeah. Um, so there's something about those resonances that's evocative, you know, that 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 holds something of that history. So I'm, in this piece, I want to use these impulse responses, you know, meditation on the prison. The conceit of the piece is that I'm I'm going to be able to sort of wander around the prison using a a, a Wacom tablet that's a, like a drawing tablet, right? Um, with using the pen to navigate a floor plan of the prison. So having mapped the impulse responses to different points on the floor plan, I'll be able to sort of move between them and and explore the space. So in that sense, it's just it's exploratory, right? Right. Um, and I'll be able to introduce sounds into those spaces as I go in an improvisational way. And is this, uh, maybe I missed it, but is this is this being set up in the, in KP? Or this is what you're Oh, no, no, at, this is uh, totally virtual. It's virtual acoustic, I, yeah. The K- KP is uh, is closed again. It, it, right. I don't know the, when the next time will, will be that it's open or if there'll be any possibility of doing artist projects. Right. But no, this, this is, I'm describing the piece that I'm going to do on your concert. Yeah. And uh, so the idea is to be able to navigate the different acoustic spaces of the prison uh-huh. and introduce sounds into those spaces in a way to, well, partly in a hopefully non-corny way to evoke the experience mm-hmm. of being in KP as a, mm-hmm. as a prisoner. If you've ever seen photographs of the, of the building, the buildings, there's um, windows with bars, of course, but those mm-hmm. windows would have been open during hot times of the year. And all of the sounds from the waterfront would have come in, right? The, right. R- right next to the prison is the Portsmouth Olympic Harbor, where they had the rowing or yachting races um, huh. in the in the Montreal Olympics. Yeah. So um, what I've done is to um, collect a lot of sounds from the perimeter of the prison. So that that was those were spaces that I could easily access over the last few months, and I've been sort of going down there regularly and gathering environmental sounds. So part of the piece will involve almost, you know, kind of soundscape approach to composition in which uh, these environmental sounds can be brought into the prison to, to reverberate within the prison environment. Now, I had, I had previously sent a demo of uh, an idea I, I was working on which used much more electronic sound, hmm. feedback, feedback-y kind of oscillators, okay. chattering, chattering away, um, and using those sounds in the, in the prison spaces. That that idea kind of remains, but it's been now blended with the idea of uh, bringing these sounds from outside the walls inside the walls. And it's, I think that's a, there's an interesting point there as well when you refer to how do you make an inhumane space humane? Physically, you were the only human in that space when you were recording those impulse responses. Uh, yeah, except yet, for those volunteers, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and the volunteers, right? And you're all volunteer, you're all, it's all voluntary that you're there. Yes. And yet I suppose when we're at Sound Travels, um, the environments that you impose on us are of your own choice and not ours. And hmm. maybe there's something okay, there. Yeah. Um, I think probably by the time the concert date rolls around, I will have more of a structure to mm. work within because typically what I, what I like to do, uh, is have it make, keep it improvisational, but sort of make an overarching form. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'll probably, it'll probably be much more composed than it is now. Right now it's just kind of ex- exploring. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. But it won't, it won't necessarily literally be just 
a full-on improvisation that there'll be an idea of trajectory and you know different sounds introduced at different times and yeah and in in uh, in preparing that because um, i mean right now you have you have mm-hmm. some elements which are the impulse responses and you have some mm-hmm. of the um the source material so it's a, mm-hmm. instruments or other um a, uh, environmental sounds that you picked up on um mm-hmm. so you have those at your disposal and now you're you're talking about putting together some kind of a structure is that is that often mm-hmm. how you work well yeah like like i say i mean i I think it's it's just uh, sometimes it's like f- just strictly improvisatory, mm. and that's fine. Sure. Um, but I think it's I sometimes feel more comfortable if I have a structure, particularly if time is limited, and I want to make sure that I, you know, do you know what I want to do within that time. So, right. in, like this is a concert where I have a li- a, a limited amount of time, so right. I'll probably I'll probably have more of a structure in mind. Yeah. But uh, but within that, all the detail is still improvise right i'm curious about once you've returned home with your impulse responses will you have already documented in some way or labeled each impulse response or i wonder if naming them you know room 2a 2b as you Mm -hmm. go through room 2a and 2b Mm -hmm. if that's what you do does that Mm -hmm. affect how you use them in the end or are they all just well nameless i I mean like i i sort of feel like you know i have a little bit of emotional uh attachment to these as i'm making them and uh doesn't matter you know where i've made them but it's like a vivid reminder to me of the of the place i was at a particular time and so i I try to uh take photographs of the spaces so that i can link that with the impulse response particularly Mm -hmm. if i want to share it with other people yeah and uh, in fact, the, the KP uh, impulse response set is available as uh, under the Creative Commons license. So any anybody who wants them can have them. And they're they're. I tried to be you know uh, not exactly exhaustive, but to give at least an impression of what the spaces were. So I have photographs, and um, uh, I think uh, I'm not I'm not sure I've. I posted the link on you know places at different places at various times. Like I sent it out to the the CEC discuss mailing list once, and I put it on Facebook a couple of times. You know, yeah. but uh, back to like you know organizing and documenting. I I try to I try to be really specific about labeling files and such, just because there's so much data. You know, there's so many so much stuff that it's easy for things to get lost or forgotten mm-hmm. or you know. So I I try to when things are important and meaningful, I'll organize them quite well and mm-hmm. so that I, I know where they are and I can find them easily again. <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting, having mm-hmm. having that connection visually mm-hmm. and, and orally. I actually like, uh, you know, I, I carry around a little Zoom recorder, one of their H, H2, is it H2N? H2N, yeah. A lot of, you know, field recorders think that they're, you know, not really up to snuff, but I find them super useful and, yeah. and I especially like the fact that if I'm recording an impulse response in a space, I can get two for one because it has the two sets of microphones pointing in different directions. Definitely. Um, with different angles and so on. So I find that that's what I do most of it with just because I don't have the time or the energy to carry around bulkier equipment. So Right, and if you're under the risk of getting kicked out of a place, you may as well make your time. <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, I don't want to you know, take more than a few seconds to do it because right. I might actually bother someone. Um, I, I'm, I am actually, I'm carrying, on this trip, carrying much more, much better equipment, but I'm still using the Zoom for a lot of things. Do you keep the Zoom on you all, all times? 
yeah, I have. I have been keeping it with me um, pretty much all the time and getting little, not just impulse responses, but sort of audio snapshots of, of different locations. Hmm. I think I might I might uh, start doing that. You know, I I, uh, I very rarely take photos, but uh, mm-hmm. but I'm really drawn to this idea of taking impulse responses. Um, mm-hmm. um, a friend of mine was in the sound recording program at McGill, um, and uh, the director of the program, Vislav, uh, is working has been working on for the past couple of years a virtual acoustic system in their uh, their large mm-hmm. uh, studio space. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 uncanny. It's incredible. It's um, they have a, a lots of an array of small microphones floating above the above this sort of carpeted area, and then um, uh, I believe hemispherical speakers of some kind. Um, right. So they, they so they radi- they radiate sound all over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's um, it's a virtual acoustic system. So they're cool. they're they're loading in impulse responses, and structurally, there's no sort of you know physical barrier. I guess you know it's just it's mm-hmm. open air. But if you're sort of outside of it, you don't really get an effect. But when you walk in, it, it is indeed like you're in any of the impulse response. Uh, that's that's very cool. I would spaces. I'd like to experience that. Yeah, yeah. You should get in touch with them. They're uh, <laughs> they're they're. I think they're well. I can't speak for them, but I knew that they were pretty excited to be showing it to people. So okay, great. Yeah, there's a a new concert hall in Kingston that was built. Um, the sound design was by, um, gosh, what are they called out of New York City? Um, I'm blanking on the name. They have a room in New York City where they virtually model their concert halls before they build them. Really? And they invite they invite the clients down to experience the concert hall yeah. as it will be. Apparently it's very vivid and convincing. At least, you know, it's a good it's a good sales sales pitch anyway. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what Wallace the con- the concert, would say about that. <laughs> the concert hall that came out of it is is super amazing. So Oh yeah. Yeah. So it really speaks to it. It really works. Well, I, I'm. I'm. You mentioned also that you're excited to come here and and play with the the NASA spatialization. Well, Darren has Darren has described the the speaker setup that will be available to us for this concert, mm-hmm. and it's you know it's totally flexible and um, should be marvelous to experiment with. Yeah. You know, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and as I say, you know, with this drawing tablet, you know, it, it's a it's a wonderfully flexible instrument because you you know you have so many degrees of uh exploration that are possible using not only the location of the pen but the pressure mm-hmm. tilt in several directions and then you know combinations of all those things and there's you know buttons and things that are on the on the pen itself so i'm still figuring out how how to best make use of all those parameters but I I I'll be really interested to see how I can map those gestures to the speaker's space that you have. Right. Well, I'll be there. I'm. I'd, I'd be really curious yeah, to chatting with you afterwards and seeing well, what your uh, your assumptions versus what you experienced and what what you made of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. I'm looking forward to hanging out with you and everybody else at this at the symposium. And sure. And if I can ask one last question, it's it's something that sure. that kind of burned at me earlier, and I was. <laughs> Kind of curious. Do you use the same balloon every time, or same balloons, or do you blue? <laughs> no, do- no, no. It's just uh, there's. It's totally non-scientific. Yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of crude, as I said, yeah. but it's effective. It's effective, and yeah. uh, you know. So I just you know dollar store balloons. Yeah. And do you blow them up <laughs> just, to the same capacity, or is it just? 
Um, yeah, approximately. Approximately. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great. I carry I carry a couple of thumbtacks to you know <laughs> pop them. So I love the thought. I love the thought of you going into the security at the prison and assuming they have some kind of somebody checking your pockets and you have balloons, thumbtacks, and microphones. <laughs> yeah. Well, they didn't. Act, they didn't actually search anybody going in for those tours, but. Sure. Uh, I got to meet the last remaining prison guard. You did, right. You got a special part of the tour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, Matt. Okay. Have a good day. All right. Good night. Take good care, night. Michael. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right. That was my conversation with Matt Rogalski. For more information about his performance, go to nasa.ca. Go to the Sound Travels Festival Programming. Now we'll move on to my conversation with composer Wendelin Bartley. Years ago, I took a whole bunch of courses. This is I'm talking about the ni- in the 90s. Oh yeah, I took a, cor- a bunch of courses out at Banff and at SFU in the summer intensives that they used to have at SFU. I don't know if they still have them, but in, in interact interactivity. Oh yeah, and the early days of Max, like real early days of oh, Max, yeah. and in, and at the Banff Center. And in fact, it was so early days. <laughs> it was p- purely MIDI. It was no no audio processing whatsoever. Max was no, had no MSP, I guess. It was, it was no MSP, but yeah. the, what there was was something called ISPW, EarCam okay. Signal Processing Workstation. And it was it, it was kind of, I, you know, as far as I understand, I'm, correct me if out there if you, if you know I'm wrong, but my understanding was that that was kind of the beginnings of Max MSP, like okay. the MSP part of Max. Right. right? Because, well, actually it was, because it was, I had learned Max for... Um, MIDI, um, taught by uh, um, Andrew Schloss, who teaches at UVic, and he was he studied at U at at AirCam, and so yeah, so they had this ISPW system, and it was hooked up only to a Next computer, like which is I think what Steve Jobs built when he left Apple originally, okay. and then he went back, but but so this was kind of like yeah, it was a very special computer. They don't exist anymore, and and this. ISPW thing hooked with the next computer. So there are very few of them around, a few at Banff mm-hmm. and one at UVic. So I went and worked on it there. And so I did some really early work. And, and you know, and it was Max because it had the little objects and the patch cables mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But um, yeah, it was kind of complex. Yeah. <laughs> it was quite complex. Yeah. And I, I kind of got my way into it. But for some reason, I did all that work then and I just somehow, my, it didn't, it didn't click, that whole way of thinking didn't click with my composer brain. I guess mm. I had an old school composer brain or like whatever, because I had a, you know, a pretty strong music background. So I kind of eventually gave it all up. So anyway, last summer, make a long story <laughs> short, last summer I decided, you know, I think it's time. It's time to just like dig in again. And I know things have really changed a lot. Yeah. 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 I had no idea what Arduino was. It said something about huh. Arduino and I'm going, I don't know what that is. Oh, well, huh. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I knew what PD was. and Right. Which is a kind of a version of Max, right. sort of. Yeah, well, they're both yeah. they were both made by Miller Pocket. Oh right? yeah, right. Yeah. One's just open source. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, right. So I took the course and yeah. and and as um, in the first day uh, in the afternoon, uh, Pauline Oliveros led the session. Right. Because she was the guest composer of the of the whole festival that yeah. had just preceded the intensive the, the Toronto International Electroacoustic Symposium. Yes. Now was that did she do deep listening or? What was her? Yeah, we did a deep listening session. Yeah, and and um, we met in this room, <laughs> as a matter of yeah. fact, and and then she, you know, we talked for a bit. She introduced various things about her work, and 
and uh, we each spoke. And then she said, well, we're going to do this piece. It's an old piece of mine. It's called Extreme Slow Walk. And I kind of gasped because I went, oh, my God, that's that piece I did with her, with you, you know, with you. I, I said it to her. Yeah. I remember doing that piece with you in the late 70s. It could have been like 77, 78 at the original music gallery in Toronto, which was on St. Patrick Street. Because the new one is at St. George's Martyr, is that? Yeah, but there were two others in between. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. There was one at Queen and Dovercourt, then there was one on Richmond near University. Wow. And now, and then they they always had their own spaces, okay. like just dedicated to the music gallery, and yeah. now, now they're in this church. So it was very different, and of course, uh, back then in the 70s, it was a really wild space. <laughs> it was like crazy stuff happened in there, but anyway, <laughs> that's a whole other story. But anyway, Pauline came, and, and I think I was a student up at York at the time, or something like, no, I was at U of T in composition. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Because wow. I went with some of my fellow student, composition students, yeah. and we went to this, quote, concert, and we paid, I remember we paid 10 bucks to get in, and... Um, and basically what we did were two of her sonic meditations. And the second one that we did, and I had not known, remembered the name, was this extreme slow walk. Because what we did was we walked very, very, very slowly around the room. We didn't even manage, I think, as a group to get around once hmm. in, in the room because everything wow. was going so slow. But what happened for me, um, at first I was like, whoa. <laughs> but at a certain point, I was kind of like, I don't know. It's like something opened up. Like it was just like all this. It's kind of like you know the veil's been lifted. Yeah. <laughs> right? Was this the first or the second? No, time the first. First, the very time, first time. At, yeah. At, at, at music that, gallery. At the music gallery. So yeah. it stuck out in my mind ever since then. You know, I don't remember many concerts that I went to from back then, but that one I do. Yeah. But afterwards, as composers, we were going. That was a concert. <laughs> you know, that was a piece, you know. So it was a real radical awakening to what music could be. Yeah. Really. Yeah, and yeah, it, yeah, and sure. it kind of like seeped its way. And every time I saw her, I had these experiences. So so she was like last year here saying, Okay, let's we're gonna go and do this extreme slow walk piece. And I was like, Wow, fantastic. So I went out we went outside and we did this walking out and and we took off our shoes so that we could really be connected with the earth and listen she was telling us to listen to the vibration of the earth feel the pull of gravity and to feel the electromagnetic energy field around us listen and walk so it was a lot of tasks yeah to do and it was remarkable and it just you know anyway so she led us through a whole process afterwards along with Ioni her partner we talked about dreams and sound in dreams and so I got inspired by that because I'd already been inspired what 30 years before um, to do a piece where uh, and that's what I worked on in the intensive where um, I, I would do that walk and I would um, have sensors on my feet that would then process the sound really as I walked using the Arduino yeah Yes. Okay. <laughs> I learned all about that. Yeah. And it was Ian Jarvis who, right. who yeah, helped me, a friend oh, yeah. of yours. Yes. My future roommate. Yes, yes. yes well, he told me. Oh, he told you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, because he's now the, my tech support for, for this piece that Fantastic. I'm tied. Oh, for the one in... For the one that we're talking at about. Ties. Yes, at Ties. Oh, he's great. That's so that's yes. so cool. Yes. Awesome. So, um, so, yeah, because he helped me then to build this... Well, I have to say that he did a lot of it. <laughs> But, you know, he introduced me to the idea of soldering and making this little thing. And then we bought these, fle- f- I think they were flex sensors. Okay. 
and then I had sounds in the in uh, Reaper, and so then the, it was sending through PD, and it was David who who did the programming in PD to help yeah. me get the stuff, everything talking. Yeah. And um, but my original idea was that I wanted to make sound as well because I do a lot of voice work, vocal extended voice work, and I wanted to make sound as I was walking and controlling other sounds in the computer. But it was since we got it working at about. 6.30 uh, the last evening, and the concert was at 8 o'clock. Yeah. I just did the walking part. Yeah, that sounds very familiar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Forget the singing part. That's too much. I can't think about it all. So then Darren approached me and asked me if I'd like to develop it further, like take that initial idea. Yeah. And Because I also had a text that I had been working with in a couple summers ago. I was at this place called the Roy Hart the International Center, of, uh, International Artistic Center Roy Hart. Anyway, it's in the south of France, wow. and the and the uh, the whole Roy Hart vocal legacy is about expanding the range of the voice, and it's a it's a whole other story, but it's a fascinating story. And they continue to teach there after forty years in this wonderful place in the south of France. So I had brought a text to work in one of these workshops, hmm. and part of the text was gliding slowly into the body of origin. Hmm. And there's stuff, all stuff that kind of precedes it, and and it's about like coming to this place where you just can't, like it's talking. About, well, really, it's about well how we're split off from a part of ourselves, and that there's this other one that lives within, who appears. Well, this is how the text goes: saying, "But it appears in my, she appears in my dreams, um, sings in my blood, and I cannot, you know, kind of get, you know, rages in my blood." Or so I can't quite remember all the text, but then you kind of go to this this point, and then come to a kind of like still point at the end of all this kind of text of raging and ranting and um, I I remain silent listening gliding slowly yeah so it's about listening and paying attention to this body of origin before it was socialized out of its own knowledge of itself so socialized away from its own uh, awareness of itself or yes yes yeah yeah so in other words this idea that we're well, yeah, and then it, you get into the complexity of who are we when we're born? Mm. Like, who we're this collection of cells and evolutionary history and DNA and ancestral mm-hmm. memory. It's all in the body. And so when we go back to who we were, or originally we're also tapping into all that's, that's behind us. Mm. So that's kind of what the piece is an exploration of. And so what I've come to of, after doing a lot of research research in the way of process, not mm. so much digging and reading, but I spent a lot of time um, going to places in the environment, in nature. I spent two months in Vancouver. Really? Mm-hmm. This past year? Yeah, in yeah. the spring. And I spent a lot of time in Stanley Park and at the ocean and in these, various these other little parks. These are places in Vancouver? Yeah, these are places in Vancouver. Okay. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Stanley Park is this amazing, fairly large park in the heart of the city, but it's kind of isolated off in a little area that juts out into the water. And it's filled with age-old trees. Hmm. You know, it's just, it's, it's, ma- it's a, like it's like a fairyland in there. <laughs> it's magical. So I would go in there and I would do these sounding improvisations. And I took a lot of videos and a lot of pictures and did not so much soundscape recordings because it's actually quite, well, I found places that were fairly quiet, but there's a lot of planes and that's in my recordings. Mm. It's just there. You can't get away from it there. 
because the harbor airport like is really close by just right. outside the park well you you would say i would say though that the the planes are part of that environment they mm-hmm. are they are totally part yeah. of the environment and in fact what i did was i incorporated them into my sound making yeah. because they c- provide these amazing drones because in some mm-hmm. places in there the resonances that they make were beautiful yeah you know the the motor drones and would you would you characterize them as periodic or aperiodic do they do they come in on a dime, like every five, eight minute kind of thing, or is no, it it's sort of more random? More random. Yeah, yeah, it's not. I didn't notice any particular regular pattern mm. to it. Is that if that's what you mean? Yeah, I'm wondering yeah, if yeah. that's in any yeah. way juxtaposed to other sounds of the forest or of the environment. Right. I'd say they're probably more. Uh, what's the Schaefer's word that he uses for that? Um, foreground. Foreground. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the word he uses. Uh, no, it's, it's lo-fi and hi-fi. I think that would be a hi-fi sound. Like it's more present yeah. in your awareness. And then there w- one time I was in there and I, <laughs> it's funny I say it's in there because it is. It's your, all of a sudden you're in something. Yeah. And um, I, was, I did this sound recording and then all of a sudden this huge owl appeared right beside me. Wow. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> wow. That was very intense, and then I, because I, I heard it, and I just turned around and saw this huge owl, and he, we kind of looked at each other, and then he flapped his wings and turned and flew off. But and you caught it on recording, yeah? No, I did not. So it was just, it was just for you. <laughs> it's just for me. Yeah, just for you and the owl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, but it, it, yeah. it, then I did a sounding right after that, kind of in that presence, and what is the sounding? What is the sounding? Yeah. Okay, that's a good question. <laughs> um. Well, what it is, it's kind of like making an imp- a vocal improvisation. It's like a piece. Okay. I'm creating a piece, and usually I come to it with some form of an intention. Like like for that, for example, okay, I've just a- had this kind of mind-blowing experience of this ex- experiencing this owl up really close and then seeing the full wingspan, which was quite large. And that's not something I've – I don't think I've ever seen that before, mm. like in the wild, you know. And so then I go, oh, I just have to – Something about integrating that or letting that settle within me in my body and 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 then bringing that through into the voice. It's not like it was a song about an owl. No, it wasn't about that. But it was somehow letting that affect me and mm. and then just allowing whatever sounds come, like as an in, in an improvisation. When you experience something that is impactful in the, mm. in that way, is that something that comes to you often? That that's something you would like to right. do to express or to explore that or unpack those feelings? Well, in that situation, I was right there. My record, I was there to make recordings. Okay. Right. I was there to be affected by the trees and the environment. Yeah. And so then this was just another layer that I hadn't anticipated. Right. right? So, but that was my whole reason for being there. Was to make soundings there? Yes. Okay. To go to the park yeah. to make soundings. Okay. For this piece. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's it's a deliberate part of my creative practice. I don't, you know, like I don't go every day. Although I, I, there was a week back in May when I decided, okay, every day I'm going to get up <laughs> in the morning. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to select a photo from a place that I visited in, Van- in, the, in Vancouver area while I was there and do a sounding connected to that photo. Wow. And, and then do a writing. I kind of just wrote whatever came afterwards. Like a morning pages style? Yeah, like a morning, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. often it would be reflections on ideas of music or or um, the place, you know, something in the about the place 
that I went to or the place that I was would trigger associations, memories of associations or, yeah, it's quite varied. And I was always surprised at what came out. But, um, and and then I just did that for a whole week. But that's, that was kind of a, that was a, you know, like, okay, I'm going to do this for seven days. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it, it is something I do a lot of, but I don't, I don't say I don't do it every day. Like, yeah. I don't do it for every experience that I have. Yeah. But I it's it's a way I've learned to work with my voice and with my and with life. I'm guessing it's something that is requires flow and also probably encourages it as well like you're Yeah, right. like I'm kind of thinking like kind of opening like opening your body up in a way. Right. Um, yes. So you're maybe removing potential hindrance towards expression or I mean, this is mm-hmm. as someone who's not a, a vocalist, yeah, yeah, but I yeah, would think yeah. that, as, and and actually, maybe it's perhaps the reason I'm saying that is as a mm-hmm. that I I am very sort of guarded mm-hmm. with my voice, so mm-hmm. having that sounding might th- to me that would be something that would sort of open myself up in a number of ways. Well, it's you bring up a good point about our relationship to the voice in general. I mean, yeah. just our culture's relationship to the yeah. voice. Where it is, it's a very intimate thing, and mm. so we do have this sense of being guarded around yeah. it, like because it is a revealing of deeper parts of ourselves. In fact, this tradition that I spoke of earlier, at the Roy Hart Center. Right. His teacher was Alfred Wolfson, who I'll just give you a quick view of the of where this is coming from because it's I think it's really important, and I don't think that, especially in North America, that we honor this tradition enough in the way we approach the voice um, but base and it's more known in Europe of course but not still not still a little bit on the fringe but basically Alfred Wilson was a first world war soldier um, for Germany and he was also a stretcher bearer but he had traumatic war experiences yeah. and he was struck by the sounds of men dying yeah. and in wounded on the battlefield and he was he was like he also had his own stuff that happened to him and so in order to heal himself from the trauma and also he was intrigued by the energy of the voice that he perceived mm-hmm. and he kind of went well how can I use this for creative ends this this power that he sensed was in the voice right because when it's, people in, in desperate yeah, moments yeah just, in, in yeah. deep pain and yeah. and no no guards like you know like that's all mm-hmm. gone like all the all the guarding or whatever the armoring has dropped mm-hmm. right and you're just raw and what would happen if we encouraged that vocal expression? You know, he had conversations with people like Jung, and uh, he he was very, very intelligent and wrote very perceptively about the voice. And one of his students in the 40s, after the Second World War, was this man, Roy Hart. And I happened to work with a man, Richard Armstrong, beginning in the 90s, and he just turned me on to this way of working with the voice that really encourages you to go into the body and into the full depths of and range of your voice because Wolfson believed that if you expand your vocal range you also expand your psyche hmm. it's like one and the same like you're do you're working on the same things okay that's why I brought this up is because his phrase the voice is the muscle of the soul hmm. So mm. it's it is about that revealing of yourself, right? You know, and connecting with that, uh, and and because I've worked with it since those days in the early nineties, I've developed a comfortability with it. Yeah, but and it takes it's you know, 
it's been a while yeah of working well, with it and in terms of a, a, a long time it seems there's a very interesting through line from where we started which was talking about the piece in coming up in august yes. which is returning to the self um, upon which which you were born right um and as it gets further and further away as you get as you mat- we call it mature i guess as you right. get older you get further away from that self and its origins but through the voice perhaps you are exactly digging deeper into that is that that's is that exactly fair, fair through line? yeah yeah very cool yeah you know it, it, actually i was doing one of these soundings out in a in a small little area i go to in the city not too far from here and i realized that what i wanted to do for the piece was to create to structure an environment such as what i was what i what i'm in when i go to someplace in nature so it'll be soundscape within which, and also layers of my own voice from recordings, but also doing live voice. Wow. So that will be then processed um, using, and this is where the technology part comes in, yeah. uh, a controller yeah. that can be made into a wristband. Um, it's developed by Loretta Favlieri, I think her last name is. Um, it's called Sono Sonoware. It was part of her, it was her thesis a research, a graduate thesis research at at OCAD, Ontario College of Art and Design. Really. So basically, the it picks up nine points of movement, and it's and it's designed. She worked with dancers originally when she was working on it, um, so that they could create soundtracks while they were performing. Oh. You know. Yeah. To create their own music. So what I'm going to use it for is to interface with Max. <laughs> the plugins I'm going to use are from GRM. Okay. which is Group Recherche Musicale exactly. from France. And they have a set of plugins um, called Evolution. <laughs> so I couldn't I've resist that. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's really interesting. I've heard some, you know, some watch some of their demos, and I just really love what it does to the sound. Like it sounds to me like it almost like takes a moment in the sound and kind of freezes, but then extends it. Like mm. it evolves into something else, and then it... And then you can kind of slowly swing your way back into the original source and then evolve out again. And it plays with the spectrum and um, the sonic spectrum. So that's one of the plugins I'm going to use and probably a few more. And then there'll be uh, then there's other layers of text written by Susan Griffin, who's a, a writer from yeah. she lives. She's been around for a while. She's uh, really involved in the kind of the feminist movement written a lot of books about the female voice oh, yeah. uh, well about the, the feminine the voice of the feminine in a sense um, and the relationship between um, how Western culture has treated the earth and how it treats mm. women and how it treats nature mm. you know that was one of the earliest books I read of hers it was called women in nature the roaring inside her mm. and it kind of became my composition Bible because I use lots of elements from it how do you mean uh, when you say elements? Uh, well, uh, images, um, yeah. bits of, like, ideas. Yeah. Um, some fragments of text yeah. that, that inspired me, you know. Which is really an, an interesting idea because you're with one source, one, one element, as you say. Yeah. It really works for you, and then you sort of brainstorm on that, and you come up with some other thoughts. Yeah. Well, if you'd like to try to find ways to sort of tie it together or other things, well, you, you have only, I mean, you can return to the source of yes. that element. and yeah. So find where they went with that, and right. perhaps sort yeah. of um, question it, or or sort of see how they how they developed that idea further, perhaps mm. um, in tandem or in opposition to your own development. Yeah, I well, it's interesting that you say that because the very first piece I wrote with this, you know, using this as kind of like a, a guide as inspiration, 
was this book I mentioned, Women in Nature, and it's kind of divided into two parts. The first part is the voice of the patriarchy, ex- mm. essentially. It was like, um, it is said that, you know, she has all these lines of, um, and they said that, you know, the earth is flat, and mm. they said that, blah, blah, blah. Like, mm. And she goes through kind of like a whole cultural history. And then every once in a while, you see these little words in italics, which is to represent the voice of women, kind of mm. trying to like, push its way up there (laughs) and words like unseen you know Hmm. speaking just like little fragments and there and then those fragments kind of develop and gain gain more steam in the second half that's really two-thirds and one-third so the follow the the final third is more about this new this new voice so that inspired this early piece I wrote when I was still a graduate student at McGill and I was working on a the sort of state-of-the-art technology at the time was a synclavier. I don't, have you ever heard of the yes, synclavier? Yes, I have. Yes. Sure. Sure. <laughs> it's so old and it doesn't exist anymore, but I love that machine. It do was you, great. Do you miss it? Is that, mm-hmm. You miss it? Is it something I do. love to... Because there were things you could do with it I've never experienced in any other... I mean, maybe you could program Max to do it, but I don't know. It was. It had a certain elegancy to it. It just could do some really magical things. And, yeah. Yeah. I did this piece called Rising Tides of Generations Lost, which was all about this emerging voice of the feminine. And this was inspired from Griffin's? Yes, yes. And and so, um, and then there there was one, and I made references to, to it was kind of an intense piece, because I made references, because she did in her book too, to the witch burning period, to the suffragettes, uh, the early suffragettes, especially in England. And um, I, I used quotes from some of their speeches, and I used took quotes out of this document that was constructed by the Catholic Church in I don't know fourteen something about you know how to what to uh, how, how to what to look for when you're looking for witches. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you are more deceitful than the devil, more malicious than a tyrant. <laughs> that was one of the lines, and I had these friends like record them and. <laughs> That's kind of how they recorded it. <laughs> but, uh, and then I had, mem- uh, fa- I interviewed my mom and my great aunt at the time. So I have these fam- this family memory conversation going on. And to my great surprise, my great aunt, I was having trouble picking her up on the microphone. She kind of kept moving away from the microphone and I just was adjusting it. And she said something about, that's what I said, you know, sometimes I think when you, when you live alone, you just lose your sense of voice. Hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe she just said that. That's so interesting. You know, that you lose, yeah, that she was losing her sense of voice because she would, didn't have a whole bunch, anyone to talk to. Right. That's what she said. I don't have anyone to yeah. talk to anymore. And that's what I said. I think you often lose your sense of voice. That's profound. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And so that I used that in the piece. And so this piece, which I'm calling Gliding Slowly into the Body of Origin, is, for me, uh, kind of on a compositional level, and, and I, I, I don't know in all the ways yet, because it's kind of a, a sort of a subconscious yeah. thing. It's but re- right? I'm returning. Yeah. I'm returning to that, the elements of that piece. I want to make some references. I want to use quotes from suffragettes. I want to, and I've also found uh, my mother passed along my gr- great grandmother's journals to me. Oh wow! 
which is the mother of this great aunt that said the thing about the voice. Yeah. And she's referenced actually in the journals because she was like 20 at the time when they were written and she was still living at home and they lived on the farm and it's just every day. She wrote every day. She wrote an entry as to what they did. You know, Stan, which was her son. Stan buzzed the wood today. You know, we went to town and bought blah, blah, blah and it cost like 25, whatever, you know. Money transactions, um, what they ate for dinner, like just really yeah. mundane things. And so that's, I'm using layers of that too in this piece. Um, and I, as of today, the thought is, is that a friend of mine who's a really good, uh, she's a really great storyteller and has a very good delivery. She's going to be walking slowly and just speaking these lines every oh. once in a while as she's walking. At the performance. In the performance. Wow. And I'm going to do some walking, but I'm I'm going to lay kind of a bit of the bulk on her to do the really carrying of the walk. She's studied Bhutto dance as well. What is that? It's very slow-moving dance. Oh, yeah? Yeah. In fact, we were talking about Murray Schaefer's Apocalypsis production yes. earlier, and um, which was recently done in Toronto, and the this it was it's based on the book of revelations and john of patmos's vision of the end of time and in the center on the stage of this production that we did in toronto was a a dancer who's a buto you know who does the buto dance in fact my friend studies with her and she was inside this glass box making these very slow motions and it was it was like john was kind of going insane like <laughs> to portray this kind of person who's kind of a bit delirious, a bit psychotic, hmm. you know, and having these crazy visions of all the stuff going on. Anyway, but that's, but she was like, just to watch her movement, it was just, it's that same thing that Pauline was going yeah. for, right? It's this very slow movement, just being present. I think it's, a, it's very important, and I think it's an important, has been an important growing curve for me you know, over the, in these intervening, what, 30 years since that, whenever that was, that experience. Yeah, more than 30 years. Um, I, I felt in a sense it was an initiation, but, but this, but about becoming, um, and certainly learning how to listen and learning, uh, working with recording forces you to become, uh, to, d to cultivate certain listening skills that a lot of other people don't have. And mm. it's kind of shocking to me that they don't have. Them. And I went, oh, but you, you know, that's what you do professionally. Like you yeah. listen, you learn how to listen and pick up every little nuance. And so to do that kind of listening requires that sense of absolute presence. And I think that's where she's, that's what she kind of brought. She yeah. brought this kind of Zen approach. Mm -hmm. And I once asked her about that years ago. She came to McGill when I was there and, I asked her because she was doing these sonic meditations, and I asked her what, how she got into it, like what led her into doing it, and it was her response to the Vietnam War, is what she said. You know, she was so distraught, I guess, about what was going down, and she lived in California, I think, at the mm -hmm. time, and so you know, it was the hotbed of protest, and it was her way of responding, of just kind of being able to cultivate this other presence influenced by Buddhism, mm. Zen Buddhism. Um, but I think that what you said earlier about your experience of, you said at some point about not, I think maybe with this smudge ceremony, of not mm. feeling yourself as separate. Right. And I think that that's like a fundamental 
issue, even if you look at that book I was referring to, Women in Nature, mm-hmm. and why there's this split between, you know, um, um, earth, uh, not earth, but um, nature and spirit, right. um, masculine and the feminine, you know, mind, body. Like mm-hmm. there's these, this dualistic split that we have. And it's because we see ourselves as separate, because mm-hmm. there's this separation ideology at the root of our whole culture. And so really it's about when we want to, to not overcome that, but to provide an alternative to that, it's about learning how to be present with everything mm-hmm. and being in the field of, of it all. And that's really, in my sense of what I'm tr- trying to do in this piece, is to create a field of sound, through sound and the voice, um, whereby we one can enter into this other space of being present, fully mm-hmm. present, cultivating presence. And that was my last time in Stanley Park before I had to go home. come home. Um, it was in early May, and, and that's what I just had this experience of feeling so quiet and still, even though I did some recordings, um, but... I mean, vocal recordings. Um, but I had, there was this kind of like this, this sense of presence and, and connection that descended upon me at a certain point, you know. It's not, it's not like you can plan that. It just happens, right? right? right. So you have to sit up, set up the situation that provides that possibility. Right. And that's really what my piece is, uh, providing a possibility for people to enter into that space. That's fantastic. <laughs> I'm really excited. Thank you for listening to Making Waves. I'm Michael Palumbo. For more information about our programming, go to nasa.ca. That's N-A-I-S-A dot C-A.